It sounds like a fairy tale. A man comes down from his tower and is crowned the most powerful man on earth. He gives to the rich and takes from the poor. He makes friends with our enemies and enemies of our friends. And then one day, a disease came upon the land. Fear not, he says, for it is a hoax and will not harm those who believe in me. As thousands and thousands suffer and die, he lies and says all will disappear with a sip of his magic potion. When the people cry for help, he attacks them with noxious gases and forces the children out of their homes and into the plague-filled air of a once proud and healthy nation. We're living in a story as grim as any ever told. And the lesson? Vote and send the man back to his tower for good. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. That was a good story. A grim fairy tale. I liked it. Good ending. Good moral. Go vote. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't, but it might be I'm soon. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also enjoyed in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, hope you guys are doing okay today. Out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day of the week on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio. Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from Bradblog.com. I will be sweller if we actually... Uh, next few days end up uh, having a fairy tale not unlike the one we heard there at the top of the show, Desi Doyen. You Wouldn't mean the that one be that nice? actually succeeds? <laughs> that, uh, <clears throat> that plague along the land uh, that she was talking about there has now surpassed 9 million cases as we go to air with coronavirus infections rising in 42 states as the nation struggles to contain a third surge, which the White House told us just yesterday had ended, according to the White House Science and Technology Office singing the praises of Donald Trump's administration. I guess it hasn't ended. What do you know? Uh, In more um, accurate news... (laughs) 
While attempting to vote on Monday, a Florida man learned that his address had been changed in the Florida voter database, even though he had made no such change himself. Well, that is disturbing, isn't it? Hmm, yes. That's what happens to the Florida man, I suppose. Uh, the matter was made even more alarming or amusing, depending on how you might want to look at it, when we learned that that Florida man in question happened to be Florida's very Trumpy Republican governor, Ron DeSantis who, when he went to vote during early voting this week, was told that his address in the uh, Florida voter registration database had been changed. DeSantis was attempting to vote at his assigned polling location when the poll worker advised him his address had been changed to 2185 Pretty Lane <laughs> Okay. in West Palm Beach. Uh, DeSantis said he did not authorize a change in his address as he was not voting in anywhere near West Palm Beach. He was up in Leon County. That's Tallahassee, the state's capital. And he immediately contacted FDLE, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, to investigate. He contacted a supervisor of uh, elections in the office at, uh, at Leon County, which is where the state's capital is. And he requested or I'm sorry, the uh, FDLE requested the logs for the date and time that DeSantis's address was changed the day that it came through. Uh, the authorities discovered the request was made using a specific computer with a specific IP address that was subscribed to Comcast. And then they contacted Com Comcast, who gave them the home address where this IP address was used. And then a search warrant was conducted at a home in Naples, Florida, where uh, Anthony Stephen Guevara was presented with was was present with two others. An FDLE digital forensic examiner, examiner then looked through Guevara's computer where Google searches were found for Florida My Vote and Florida Governor. Evidence also showed uh, that the man had accessed the site, uh, the Department of State site at MyFlorida.com and the Wikipedia page for Ron DeSantis. Guevara was placed under arrest and taken to the Collier County Jail where he was held on a $5,000 bond. Well, that was quick, and that was good news. And while it's troubling that it is apparently pretty easy to change someone else's address in the Florida voter registration database online, I guess, we'll call it good news because Florida actually allows voters to change their address at the polling place on Election Day when they go to vote or during early voting when they go to vote as needed. And I don't know uh, how that may affect someone's address that has been changed without their knowledge during the mail-in voting process. But at least voters who show up to vote in person there during early voting or on Election Day on, on this Tuesday will be able to overcome any such change to their address in the registration database. Now, if the registration is deleted altogether, uh, that could be a different matter. Thankfully, so far, I have seen no such reports like that this year yet. But the reason that I know that it's lawful to change one's address at the polling place while voting in Florida is because some disgraced, washed up former GOP superstar by the name of Ann Coulter. You've heard of her, haven't you? Des? Oh, yes. Over a decade ago or so, uh, she registered unlawfully to vote in the state of Florida by using someone else's 
address on her registration form. That was a voter fraud felony at the time. She was uh, Coulter was also given the opportunity to change her address at the polls in Palm Beach County when she went to vote there, since the address that she gave to the poll workers did not match the address on her registration. And instead of changing her address at that point to her actual correct address, she just said, well, where would somebody like me with uh, that address on my database registration database, where would I vote? The poll worker told her. And she went to the polling place for the address that was not hers. It actually belonged to her real estate agent. And she voted there instead, thus committing another Class D felony in the great state of Florida. And Coulter was never held accountable for her voter fraud crimes because it took some time before we discovered the voter fraud and reported it at bradblog.com back in 2006. And by the time the FDLE finally got to it, uh, after a boyfriend of hers from the FBI was able to stall the entire investigation, the statute of limitations finally ran out. So and Coulter got away with it. You can read all about it at bradblog.com slash fraud. But it is remarkable how fast the FDLE was able to move when the governor of the state tells them to do so. When the governor of the state goes in and finds that his address is wrong in the database, boy, did they move quick. Boy, were they able to get the guy quick. No such quick action, however, uh, has come, at least to my knowledge, regarding another actual Florida voter fraud criminal by the name of Donald J. Trump. You've heard of him, too, haven't you, Des? I believe I have. He has no legal voting residence in the state of Florida, and he has committed voter fraud by using a commercial business by the name of Mar-a-Lago as his so-called uh, legal permanent address for voting purposes in order to vote unlawfully by absentee ballot this year during the state's primary elections and uh, in person during early voting in the Sunshine State just a few days ago. That, despite several complaints, official complaints, that were filed with the state and which, according to Florida law, just as in the Ann Coulter case, require that an FDLE investigation of voter fraud be carried out looking into that complaint. That is by statute. The only problem is the statute doesn't say when. I guess so. I don't know. I don't know if this investigation is ongoing, if it has happened. If we, it has started. We do know that the complaint came after he voted by absentee and before he was then allowed to vote, again, unlawfully in person. Um, so, you know, I guess apparently there is no real concerns about actual voter fraud among Republicans. That's only a thing that they claim that they pretend when they wish to stop legal Democratic leaning voters from being able to cast their lawful ballot in an American election, which brings us to where we are today. And I got to tell you. I feel like a, a, a war correspondent at this point during World War One, as the trench warfare continues between the Republican Party and the Trump campaign on one side and the voting rights advocates and Democrats on the other side in this trench warfare battle where each side gains an inch or two 
uh, and then they lose an inch or two in this protracted battle. Except, incredibly enough, uh, what the two sides are fighting about here, fighting for or fighting against, is the simple right to cast a ballot in arguably the most critical election in our nation's history. This is not about fraud. So what the fight has actually come down to, make no mistake about it, is one side fighting for democracy and the right for all voters of any party to participate in that democracy. And then the other side trying like hell to prevent that. I've spent years reporting on voting rights battles and election integrity concerns. And in the past, uh, at least the anti-democracy forces, you know, sort of shaded their argument with these vague claims about voter fraud, which, uh, you know, for which they had no evidence to support their cases. But they claim that, for example, with a photo ID, you know, we can prevent the fraud that might happen because, you know, if we don't use a photo ID, someone might stand in line for hours to vote and then after voting, go out to the car and put on a funny nose and glasses or something and come back in and somehow vote a second time under a different name or something absurd like that. But now they're not even trying to hide the fact that they just want to suppress the vote. I see no other way to explain uh, a lawsuit that would prevent valid votes, votes that are postmarked by the U.S. Postal Service on or well before Election Day, meaning the voter provably voted and cast his or her ballot before Election Day. But, you know, because of the Postal Service, thanks to slowdowns enacted by Trump's postmaster general, that ballot shows up a day or two after Election Day. I see no other explanation for lawsuits to prevent the counting of those uh, those ballots. And yet it is it is those ballots that Republicans are hoping to prevent from being counted this year. I mean, they're not even claiming that they're fraudulent ballots, just that November 3rd is some sort of magical cutoff date uh, when it has never been for uh, mail-in ballots in about 22 states or so have long allowed the counting of ballots that are postmarked by Election Day, but that arrive after Election Day. So I will go so far as to argue today that not only is this voter suppression Ongoing right now, the worst that we have seen in this nation since the worst of the Jim Crow era, by far. But I will also go as far as to state on the record that the U.S. has never, at least not since the Civil War, faced a greater threat right now, an active, live, ongoing threat to our very democracy to our democracy as a constitutional representative republic. We have never seen such a threat compared to the one that we are seeing right now in this country, not during World War II in this country, not during 9-11, not during the, the, the Cold War. The threat on our way of life is happening right now. And incredibly enough, the threats to our very existence as a constitutional representative republic are not coming from Nazi Germany or a foreign nation. That threat is coming from, as they say, inside the House. 
being led by a rogue president of the United States and a band of anti-American henchmen. Yes, anti-American. Who are all too happy to attack the great American experiment from within. So make no mistake, this is, not a, this is not a political battle. This is not a battle of ideas or policies. This is an assault on our nation, on this nation. And it's not Russia and Vladimir Putin who is doing it. It is the U.S. itself that is doing it. Or at least people within the U.S. who are doing it. Doing it to ourselves. And for no other reason then some people really enjoy the perks of power and are very happy to take away everything that the U.S. Constitution is supposed to allow, is supposed to guarantee, is supposed to protect equal rights, free speech, equal justice under the law, and much more. And they're happy to take all of that away so long as they get to hold on to power that they think they have some right to hold on to, that they think they have a God-given right to control, but they do not. They do not have that right. And it is now our job to, yes, save this nation. And while we're at it, by the way, save uh, human civilization at the same time. Because, be uh, as, as you will note, Desi Doyen, uh, once again, in our latest Green News report a little bit later, that, too, is now on the ballot this year and at the center of this cold civil war uh, for what Joe Biden, I believe, correctly describes as the soul of this nation. Nonetheless... Uh, my job, apparently, as a uh, war correspondent <laughs> continues today with uh, news about these skirmishes from uh, Minnesota to Texas to Pennsylvania and beyond on today's broadcast. So welcome to it. Let's begin with a bit of, uh, well, some uh, good-ish news for the pro-democracy patriots today with uh, two good news follow-ups from the federal courts today uh, to stories that we previously covered on this program with the attorneys from Free Speech for People, uh, Ron Fine and Courtney Hostetler and Ben Clements, uh, who have been uh, arguing these cases in federal courts. Well, we've got two victories today. One of them, in fact, uh, risked turning our uh, ongoing cold civil war into an actual hot shooting civil war. Today, a federal district court judge ruled in favor of the Minnesota chapter of the Council on American-Islamic Relations, or CARE, Minnesota, and the League of Women Voters of Minnesota, granting a preliminary injunction in a move that prohibits private this is a, a private mercenary contractor, a company by the name of Atlas Aegis and its chairman, a guy by the name of Anthony Caudill, from moving forward with their illegal voter intimidation plans uh, in the state of Minnesota. We spoke with the Free Speech for People attorney Ron Fine about this case just last week. It was the day after. Uh, the plaintiffs represented by FSFP had filed their suit to block the planned voter intimidation as unlawful under the Voting Rights Act. Yes, part of that landmark law is still standing and is still recognized at, at least. Yeah, at least by the lower federal courts, if not the Supreme Court these days. 
Atlas Aegis is a Tennessee-based company, has no ties in Minnesota, yet they had planned to hire and deploy armed paramilitia to polling sites in the state, which the Trump campaign has been working very hard to turn red this year in, uh, in Minnesota uh, through a, the, an advertisement seeking former special ops troops, troops to uh, carry out armed security on Election Day in Minneapolis, St. Paul, that appeared on job posting websites on uh, in, in early October of this year, as well as uh, through interviews with the company's chairman uh, in The Washington Post. Um, so this is good news for our listeners, of course, on AM 950 in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Uh, the court's order requires the defendants to do the following, according to Free Speech. Uh, one, the defendants are prohibited from deploying armed agents 2,500 feet from any Minnesota polling place during early voting and on Election Day. Two, the defendants are prohibited from threatening to deploy armed agents to Minnesota. Three, the defendants are prohibited from otherwise threatening, intimidating or coercing voters in connection with voting in Minnesota. And four, which could prove to be the most interesting uh, in the future four, the defendants must send plaintiffs the names and contact information of the individuals involved in the illegal recruitment scheme. And that was something that I asked uh, Fine, Ron Fine about on this show, if he knew who was funding this effort to pay these hired armed thugs almost $1,000 a day for whatever they had planned or hoped to do. He said he did not know yet, but that he hoped to figure that out during the course of this case. Well, maybe we'll figure this out. Good. U.S. District Court Judge uh, Nancy Brassell noted that, quote, voter organizations must show that it is likely that the defendants will attempt to intimidate voters or that their actions will do so under the federal laws barring voter intimidation that uh, new newly minted Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett knew nothing about when she was asked uh, whether it's unlawful to intimidate voters. She or said, oh, pretended she to know. know nothing about. Yeah. But Klobuchar, Senator Klobuchar, helpfully told her, yes, it is illegal. The judge said that in this case, the voter organizations have shown both of those requirements. And the judge added, quote, the presence of armed guards at the polls with no connection to state government is certainly likely to intimidate voters. You think? Jelani Hassan, the executive director of CARE Minnesota, said this ruling is a major victory for democracy and for the fundamental right to vote, he said, we celebrate this ruling and we will continue to remain vigilant in defending the uh, promise of free and fair elections for all. Michelle Witt, uh, I'm sorry, Michelle Witty, Witt, uh, the executive director of the League of Women Voters of Minnesota, said the ruling affirms the right to unimpeded, unthreatened access to the vote for eligible Minnesota voters. And Ben Clements of Free Speech for People said, as the court recognized... Uh, the defendant's actions in recruiting armed vigilantes, threatening to send them to the polling station and targeting Black Lives Matter and other groups whose political views they oppose, violates the Voting Rights Act. With the court's action, he said, in joining this unlawful conduct, Minnesota voters can go to the polls to vote free from fear and intimidation. So there's one victory today, Des. That's good. Uh, here's another, also via Free Speech for People. 
Uh, this came in uh, last night, and it is from, I'm sorry to say, Des, uh, your home state of Texas. Oh, dear. Where, as all broadcast listeners know by now, every bad thing that happens in that state is also Desiree's fault. <laughs> but sorry, Doyen, you won't get away with it. Not this time. Not in this case. A federal court in San Antonio has issued a ruling last night requiring that all voters, poll workers, and poll watchers wear masks at the polls throughout the state leading into the November election. The ruling issued uh, in a voting rights lawsuit brought by Mi Familia Vota, the Texas NAACP, and an individual Texas voter. It takes effect immediately at all Texas polling sites. Yes, free speech for people had to go to court to fight for mask wearing at the polling place in the middle of the worst pandemic in a hundred years, which is getting worse by the hour, now getting worse in more than 43 states. And they had to do so in a state where almost 18,000 Texans have already been killed by the coronavirus over the past seven months. U.S. District Judge Jason Pulliam, a Trump appointee declared quote invalid and void the uh, exemption from Texas Governor Greg Abbott uh, for polling places in his statewide mask mandate order finding that it violates section 2 of the Voting Rights Act because it creates a discriminatory burden on black and Latino voters according to this Trump appointee federal judge Yes, Greg Abbott has a statewide mask mandate, but he exempts polling places. That's for both voters and poll workers. So poll workers are risking their own life to work as poll workers because people can come in without masks. This is a tremendous victory for democracy and humanity. Humanity, says Gary Bledsoe, the president of the Texas NAACP. Our public policy has fallen to such a low level to where we are willing to put the lives of innocent human beings at risk when there was an easy alternative. The uh, judge, uh, they note, has already been uh, vindicated as uh, Free Speech reports today that as of Tuesday night, They have received reports of polling officials in Texas testing positive for the coronavirus and other polling places being required to close down because of sick poll workers. And this past weekend, uh, they say we received reports of poll watchers who were using their maskless presence to approach and intimidate minority voters. When uh, the attorney, Courtney Hostetler, appeared on this program a few weeks ago to discuss the case, it did not look good. The judge had initially dismissed the case, but then was ordered to rehear it by the very right-wing Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, who FSFP reports was, quote, shocked that Texas would even have such a policy. Hostetler said in a statement, this decision will ensure that everyone at Texas polling places from voters to poll watchers will be wearing masks and therefore working together to prevent transmission of the deadly disease that has devastated so many Texans. 
As the court rightly found, she said, the polling place mask exemption placed a discriminatory burden on black and Latino voters who have had to make difficult choices about voting in high-risk polling places or give up their fundamental right to vote, especially since Texas does not allow most voters under 65 years of age to request an absentee ballot. So this was their only choice. If you want to vote, go to a polling place where the poll workers and the voters might not be wearing masks, even during a pandemic. And the state went all the way to the state Supreme Court to block this uh, absentee ballot rule that uh, requires you essentially to be 65 or older to get one. A lower court had said, no, you can get one if you have the fear of catching the virus. But the state went all the way to the Supreme Court to overturn that ruling. Hostetler said no one should have to make that choice. And the district court's decision ensures that our clients and voters across Texas are able to vote safely during the pandemic. Whether it ensures that or not, however, is not clear. I spoke with uh, the founder of Free Speech for People, John Boniface, uh, last night and today. He tells me that the state is already running back to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals to challenge this ruling. That is how much Republicans who run Texas do not care whether their own residents, voters and poll workers live or die. They just don't care so long as they get to hang on to power in a state that is now clearly a battleground state for the first time now in decades. Polls show Donald Trump is leading Joe Biden by just over one point, according to 538's polling average. In a state which has not elected a Democrat for president since 1976. So sorry, Desi. (laughs) But we will see. We will see if that appeal is successful. It's amazing to me that they are even making this appeal. For now, however, Ben Clements uh, of the group said uh, now that the district court has properly struck down the governor's poll place exemption, Texas voters can safely go vote in person without fear of contracting COVID-19 from unmasked voters and workers. So there is that good news today. And here is more good news from the great state of Texas. 1.2 million voters have now already cast ballots in Harris County. That includes Houston. And that is as of Wednesday evening, 1.2 million voters nearly surpassing the fast-growing uh, county's total turnout, total turnout from 2016. You know, I'm a little wary of all of these reports about all the big turnout go, uh, you know, out yeah. there because, yeah, a lot of people are voting early this year because of the pandemic through you know, early voting and absentee. It does not necessarily mean ultimately that turnout will be larger than it has been in previous years. It just means that voters are coming in early. Okay. It remains to be seen whether this big turnout uh, continues. But here in Houston, apparently, we are several days away from your deadline to vote this year, which is Election Day. And already this very Democratic-leaning county has surpassed its total turnout from 2016. That is amazing and great. That's good news. And good job for the Harris County Registrar. Yes. uh, This is a state with notoriously low registration rates, low turnout rates, uh, thanks to decades of voter suppression by the controlling Republican 
Texas power regime, which is a regime that is willing to go all the way to the Supreme Court to force someone who is 64 years of age or, you know, with suffering from asthma and a heart condition to line up at a mask free polling place to vote in the middle of a pandemic, a pandemic which just happens to target 64 year old asthma sufferers with heart disease specifically. Anyway, experts say that the surge in voter participation in the nation's third largest county, Harris County, almost certainly benefits Democrats and could be the key to flipping Texas from red to blue. And it demonstrates, according to NBC's coverage today, what's possible when local officials make big investments to make voting easier. Yes, including that new uh, county clerk down there in Harris County. But in 2016... It's bigger than just uh, this uh, uh, Chris Hollins. We'll get to him in a second. But because in 2016, under the Republican leadership back then, Harris County spent just four million dollars to administer their elections after Democrats took control of every countywide office in 2018. Officials there increased the election budget from four million to thirty one million dollars this year. An almost, uh, I think, 700 percent increase, if my math is right, in the uh, in the investment in democracy in the nation's third largest voting jurisdiction. In this case, thank you, Democrats. That has allowed election officials now to triple the number of early voting sites in the county of 4.7 million residents. They vastly expanded voting hours so residents could come after work. Early voting used to end each day, conveniently, at 5 p.m. So you couldn't vote after work. But now, during the final days of early voting, not only are the uh, early voting uh, 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 polling places open later, some locations will be open for 24 hours of voting. Officials also opened 10 drive through voting sites across the county, making it possible for residents who are worried about the coronavirus to cast ballots from the safety of their cars. That after state Republicans had worked so hard to make it damn near impossible to get an absentee ballot in the state this year. What we're seeing when you build it, they come. <laughs> said Harris County Judge Lena Hidalgo, the county's top elected official. She's the first woman and the first Latina to hold the job. She said, we've learned that we can't blame the historic lack of participation on the voters themselves. It's been these obstacles. Well, who could have guessed it? Brandon Roddinghouse, a uh, political scientist at the University of Houston, said these changes could have profound implications for the state and for Tuesday's presidential election, with some election forecasters now labeling the one solidly Republican state as a toss up. If Biden is going to beat Trump and become the first Democrat to win Texas since 1976, Riding House said it's going to take unprecedented turnout in big urban and suburban communities like Harris County. Riding House said, referring to 2018, when Democrats uh, took all the countywide offices, he said, quote, I, I mean, not to be cliche, but elections have consequences. And when you start making policy changes that lead people to participate more, you're going to see a different type of voter come to the polls. So that, he said, is exactly what we are seeing now. Not everyone, as I noted, has welcomed the changes. NBC News uh, uh, News notes it as well that uh, 
Governor Abbott, the Republican, issued an order in October limiting counties to just one drop-off location for absentee ballots. That forced 11 sites across the sprawling Harris County, which is larger than the state of Rhode Island, to shut down. They had to shut down 11 other drop-off locations. And the Texas GOP itself has waged an unsuccessful legal battle to force Harris County to close its drive through voting sites. But Hidalgo pointed out that voters in Republican-leaning precincts in northern Harris County, that they've also benefited from the changes. As far as our investment, it's simply about participation for all voters, she said. Now there's an idea, at least for folks who still believe in democracy. Much of the credit... Uh, as you noted, Des, uh, for the turnaround has gone to Harris County Clerk Chris Hollins. He was appointed to the position in June. 33-year-old uh, Yale Law School and Harvard Business School graduate. He put together a team to look at what went wrong back in March in Harris County during the county's disastrous primaries when some voters had to wait until 1 a.m. on Election Day to vote and, and how to fix it. And so far, anyway, it looks like they have. That has led to the plan that vastly expanded early uh, voting locations and hours. And uh, they relied on data to better distribute voting machines to the areas with the largest turnout. What a concept. You know, science and giving a damn, I think. (laughs) Things that do matter. Now, you know, I think it was uh, Judge Hidalgo who said that this could have profound implications for for turnout for Mm -hmm. the election results. Of course, I would say it has profound implications for voters because expanding voters, expanding access to voters is always good, no matter who they vote for. But I'd also say it has profound implications for every community in the country. It shows local elections matter. It matters who runs your county. Get involved. You're right. Uh, by the way, the uh, Holland's office put out a call for 11,000 election workers this year to carry out these plans. Twenty-nine, More than 29,000 people oh, applied. That is awesome. So now Houston still uses unverifiable computer ballot marking devices at the polling place, including in the drive through polling places. So whether or not the results actually reflect the will of the electorate, well, we may never know, but we cannot blame Hollins for that. The county had already invested in these crappy voting systems before he took the job just a few months ago. Uh, But at at this point, at least people can try to vote and succeed at doing so a hell of a lot easier than it had been before and much easier than it is for many other voters in the Lone Star State, even today. But, uh, hey, remember the Alamo? (laughs) Didn't, uh, Didn't Texans lose that one, by the way? Well, yes. Yes, they did. Well, Texas Republicans are not giving up this fight yet. The Austin American Statesman reported last night that there is now a new challenge to Harris County's drive through voting sites. It was filed by two GOP candidates and a Republican member of the Texas House of Representatives asking the all-Republican state Supreme Court, get this, to void ballots, void ballots that were, quote, illegally cast by voters in cars. That would put more than 100,000 lawfully cast ballots, lawfully cast at these drive through polling places now at risk. I told you these Republicans are actually 
asking the state Supreme Court to throw out, to reject, to nullify, to void the ballots, the already legally cast ballots of some 100,000 Texas voters who have already cast their votes. Of course, the move drew sharp criticism from Democrats, according to the Austin American statesman, and has raised fears among voters, including those with disabilities and others who were directed into drive through lanes as a faster and safe, uh, safer method for voting. Last week, the uh, Supreme Court rejected two GOP challenges that sought to end drive through voting. That was the state Supreme Court, I believe. So the drive through voting is, is available currently now only in Harris County at 10 locations. One of the unsuccessful challenges last week was filed by the Republican Party of Texas. The second was from the Harris County GOP. And uh, a couple of activists and a GOP candidate for district judge in Harris County who apparently doesn't want his own voters to be able to vote for him. Neither petition, however, last week sought to void votes. Well, that has now changed. This petition was filed shortly before 11 p.m. on Tuesday night by these same activists and uh, GOP congressional candidate Wendell Champion, just so you know who you might want to consider voting against if you are allowed to vote uh, in, in uh, Houston this year, and also State Rep. Steve Toth, Republican from the Woodlands. The new petition asks the all-Republican Supreme Court to confiscate memory cards, from voting machines at drive through locations and to reject any votes that were cast on them. It also argues that drive through voting is an illegal expansion of curbside voting, which state law reserves for voters who submit a sworn application uh, claiming that they have an illness or a disability that could put them at risk if they were forced to enter a polling place. But Chris Hollins, the clerk in Harris County, said drive through voting is just another polling place, but with a different layout and structure, and that it was approved by the Republican Texas Secretary of State's office before it was adopted. Vehicles simply form lines and they enter the voting area one at a time where a clerk checks each voter's uh, photo ID, has them sign a roster, hands them uh, a sanitized voting machine. And that typically takes place in a large individual tent. Poll watchers can observe the process of voters no differently than they can in traditional voting locations, according to Hollins. Abi Rahman, a spokesman for the Texas Democratic Party, said the petition was filed by, quote, cowards. They are a disgrace to our state and our county. They are so afraid of losing this election because Texans are rising up. We will see if he is right. But for now, uh, Houston has cast more ballots than they have in 2016. And we are still days away from Election Day. Houston. We have no problem. <laughs> Not for the moment. Not for the moment. Quick break, and we are back with a big problem. That would be our U.S. Supreme Court right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening and enjoying, I hope, the Bradcast. Hi. 
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. And I rise up, I rise like the day. I rise up, I rise unafraid. I rise up, and I do it a thousand times again. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com rising up against the cold civil war on democracy and covering the war to save it. So if, if you were smart enough to have listened to yesterday's Bradcast with the great Mark Joseph Stern of Slate, and if you weren't smart enough, well, then you should uh, download <laughs> it. And uh, a- after you finish listening to today's show, of course, yes. at bradblog.com or your favorite podcast site, that's a free service. And this is a free service made possible by those of you who support our work at bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. Anyway, Mark explained the outrageous ruling from the U.S. Supreme Court on Monday that prevents timely cast mail-in votes postmarked by Election Day from being counted if they do not show up at the municipal elections headquarters in Wisconsin before the close of polls on Election Day. Now, many states allow such ballots for a certain number of days to come in and to still be counted, especially since Trump's postmaster general has been purposely slowing down mail delivery since he took over the job earlier this year. But after a lower federal court judge ruled that such ballots should be counted if they come in up to six days after the election in Wisconsin. The Republicans' stolen U.S. Supreme Court on Monday blocked, reversed that ruling. So if you live in Wisconsin or anywhere else, by the way, at this point, do not put your ballot into the mail. Deliver it in person to the county or the municipality headquarters or to an early voting site or a drop box, whatever is allowed. The rules are different everywhere. So check your local jurisdictions to see what you are allowed to do. But do not mail those ballots at this point. Deliver them by hand. Anyway, in the Supreme Court ruling on Monday, the uh, GOP operative turned GOP Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh issued his own concurring opinion, as uh, we discussed with Mark Joseph Stern yesterday, and that was riddled with one error after another, one fact error after another, one demonstrable error after another, signaling that Kavanaugh appears to have absolutely no clue how elections actually work. Claiming, for example, that if ballots are counted after Election Day, well, then that might flip the results when those ballots are counted. He also falsely claimed that states like to declare winners on election night when, in fact, zero states actually declare winners on election night. It always, in every state, takes days or often weeks before any official winner is actually certified and declared to be the winner by any uh, any state in the union. So, in fact, 
There are no results that can, quote, flip when ballots, valid ballots, are actually counted after Election Day, as all states do. And that would include mail-in ballots, provisional ballots that are cast on Election Day. Those have to be authenticated after Election Day. Even ballots that are cast by military personnel from overseas, which apparently Kavanaugh and the Republicans do not care about counting anymore. That's certainly a change from previous years. For example, in 2000, when Kavanaugh himself, along with John Roberts and Amy Coney Barrett, all worked as Republican lawyers for the Republican Party in Florida to stop votes from being counted in the Bush v. Gore case that resulted in the U.S. Supreme Court overruling the Florida Supreme Court to hand the election to George W. Bush, who almost certainly actually lost that election in Florida. But at the time, they pretended to be outraged about the idea that military ballots that came in after Election Day without postmarks on them would not be counted. So even the Democrats agreed to count these military ballots after Election Day, even though they did not have postmarks on them. But that was then. This is now. Apparently. So another error in uh, Kavanaugh's concurrence on Monday related to the way Vermont runs their elections. And Vermont, it turns out, is none too happy about that today. The Democratic Secretary of State there, Jim Condos, on Wednesday formally requested via a letter to the clerk of the Supreme Court that Kavanaugh's opinion that mischaracterized the state's plans for the election be corrected. In his concurrence explaining why he was voting in favor of a requirement that Wisconsin absentee ballots be rejected if they arrive after Election Day, Kavanaugh argued that courts should defer to state legislatures when it came to adjusting election rules for the pandemic. He pointed specifically to Vermont as a state that, quote, decided not to make changes to their ordinary election rules, including to the Election Day deadline for receipt of absentee ballots. That, however, is wrong. Condos's letter points out Vermont made two huge changes because of the pandemic. One is, is the fact that they are proactively sending mail-in ballots to every active registered voter in the state more than a month before Election Day. That's a change to what they used to do. Not just absentee applications, but actual, actual absentee ballots to every voter. The so-called universal vote-by-mail protocol that Kavanaugh's apparent boss, Donald Trump, has been complaining about for months. But apparently, Kavanaugh did not bother to learn that first before falsely claiming that Vermont had made no changes to its procedures. He, uh, he's... he's um, He's, he's only a, a U.S. Supreme Court justice. You know, we can't expect him to know everything, I guess, before he helps to reject 100,000 expected late arrival ballots from voters in Wisconsin. Also, by the way, the secretary of state in Vermont pointed out that they okayed a policy that would allow local election officials to begin processing absentee ballots 30 days before the election. He said these two factors, these two actions factored significantly into our decision to hold to a, an existing law requiring Election Day receipt of mail ballots rather than extending returns after Election Day because they sent them out so early. 
and because they can start processing them so early. Wisconsin, however, and their gerrymandered Republican legislature has done neither of those things and, in fact, has blocked the processing of absentee ballot ballots until Election Day. They can't even start processing those ballots until Election Day. And they're not allowed to come in late. So we are not going to find out who won or lost Wisconsin for uh, probably a long time uh, <laughs> after Election Day. And that, of course, is the game. That is exactly what Republicans hope, that the results that are reported on Election Day will show uh, Donald Trump as winning and that everything after that they will declare to be somehow fraudulent. And they can now count on their stooge on the Supreme Court, just one of them, Brett Kavanaugh, uh, to go along with that no matter how many facts he actually has to lie about or not know before issuing an opinion on behalf of the U.S. Supreme Court. Anyway, we got to get out because we got to get to uh, Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. That is coming up next right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. The broadcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. No, 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 Des. No, what? no, no, no. No time for bumper music. I, know. I ran too late. I Let's know. get to it. Our latest Green News report. It was rapidly intensifying when it made landfall. Hurricane Zeta slams into Louisiana its fifth storm in a single season. Logging begins in pristine Tongass National Forest. Thanks, Donald Trump. China vaults ahead of U.S. on International Climate Pledge. Thanks, Donald Trump. Plus... We are facing planetary emergencies like climate change with effectively no time left on the clock. Thanks, Donald Trump. The case for court reform to protect climate legislation. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, Analysis and snarky comment. Nice trucks. You think I could hop into one of them and drive it away? I'd love to uh, just drive the hell out of here. Yes, sir. Please, can I get the door for you? Do you need any snacks? Just go. And take all the fossil fuel trucks with you. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen. I think this is our last Green News report before Election Day. Yes, it is. So make it a good one. <laughs> okay. First up, Hurricane Zeta slammed into the beleaguered Louisiana coast as a Category 2 on Wednesday night, with wind speeds just one mile shy of official Category 3 status. Zeta set a new all-time record for Louisiana as the fifth named storm to make landfall in the state in a single hurricane season all driven by record warm ocean waters. Also, some survivors of earlier hurricanes, Laura and Delta, are still without shelter or aid. So they're still recovering from two previous hurricanes, 
And now a third one's come ashore. Yes. Great. Zeta is the strongest hurricane to hit New Orleans since Hurricane Katrina. Zeta is generating high winds, storm surge, heavy rain, tornadoes, and widespread power outages across several states as it moves inland. And there is still a month to go in the historic 2020 Atlantic hurricane season. So it's not a matter of the category, the wind speeds per se. It's a matter of the amount of water that is going to get dumped in Louisiana. Yes. In other news, Senate Republicans on Monday rammed through the confirmation of new Associate Justice Amy Coney Barrett to the U.S. Supreme Court a week before the presidential election, expanding the Republicans' stolen right-wing majority, which has been increasingly dismissive of federal agency authority to set environmental regulations. In her rushed confirmation hearings, Barrett dodged questions on the established science on climate change. Several climate and environmental lawsuits are on the court's docket this year, including whether state lawsuits holding the fossil fuel industry liable for the cost of climate damages can be moved to federal courts where they're likely to be blocked. You're too nice to say it, but her comments at that confirmation hearing made clear that Amy Coney Barrett is a climate science denier. On a recent broadcast, Aaron Belkin of the nonprofit Take Back the Court explained why his group supports expanding and rebalancing the U.S. Supreme Court and the federal judiciary after years of Republican court packing in order to protect future climate legislation. We are facing planetary emergencies like climate change with effectively no time left on the clock. And this court is highly unlikely to allow the next president to deal with those emergencies. All the legislation, all the executive orders, all the agency regulations, those are going to be at risk in a Biden administration and the courts will have a Biden administration in handcuffs on day one. That's true. If there is a Biden administration. True. Meanwhile, man-made global warming accelerates. Year-to-date, January to September 2020, was the warmest January to September ever in recorded history since record-keeping began in the 1880s. That is according to NASA. The five hottest January to Septembers have all occurred in the last five years. Up in the Arctic, Arctic sea ice is at a record low for October. After a summer that saw polar temperatures topping 100 degrees Fahrenheit, Arctic scientists are alarmed that sea ice is failing to refreeze off of the coast of Siberia. Mounting scientific evidence suggests that loss of Arctic sea ice plays a major role in extreme weather events by slowing down the jet stream that moves weather systems around the planet. In Alaska, logging began on Thursday in the public's pristine Tongass National Forest after the Trump administration stripped away protections, including the roadless rule that had safeguarded one of the world's largest intact temperate rainforests. It's also a primary absorber of U.S. carbon emissions. You know, when I said this was the last GNR before Election Day, make it a good one, I guess I should have said, make it a good news one. Well, finally, there is a bit of good news. Finally, In a major shift, China... China has announced it will stop releasing carbon emissions within 40 years, a surprise increase that vaults China ahead of the U.S. in climate ambitions under the Paris Climate Accord. This week, Japan and South Korea also announced higher targets. Both of those countries are aiming for net zero emissions by 2050. All three are major importers of fossil fuels. The announcements mark a big shift in international climate relations. All I can say at this point is please go vote. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your 
Green News Report. Yes, please. Yep. We got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doy, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. Thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to keep us going. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>